2: You are listening to Inside F1 with Joe Sayward on Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Inside F1 with Joe Sayward, part of the Missed Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. That sounds grand, doesn't it? But we cover Formula One, Formula E and the W Series. I'm Spanners, the host and producer... Of Missed Apex Podcast. We're an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm delighted to be joined in the shed by media legend, Joe Sayward. Joe, you were meant to be on last week, but once again in my life, a baby ruined everything.
3: Well, yes, I I was flying back in from uh, wherever we were last week, Brazil. And I had to rush off to Bordeaux to to um, to see my stepdaughter's little new baby, and how sweet it was. But it was also seven hours on the road after getting off an overnight flight, which was
2: a bit of an interesting one. Oh well, I'm, I bet they were pleased to have you there. Did they look up and and the, did they go, Joe? It, it falls on you and your wisdom to name this child for us. And I think Senna. That would be a great name for a baby girl, Senna.
3: Well, yeah, that that wasn't actually part of the scenario. But, no, no, um, ah, well, okay. I think I think. Um, I'm not sure Senna is entirely um, necessarily great for a girl, but there you are. I'm sure I'll be accused of sexism, namism, um, all those other things one is accused of. Um, but there we are. No, Senna's not right.
2: <laughs> no? Okay, fair enough. I'm not very good at naming naming kids. My kids have terrible names that they're now stuck with forever. Not my problem. It's theirs. <laughs> well, you can, they can change them, you know. And and they should. Uh, Joe, we've had... Well, they were- no, no,
3: they, they take nicknames. My name's not Joe, really.
2: Cuthbert? <laughs> no, right. Joseph, Joseph. Bad, you know. Joseph, I take it. Uh, we have a tweet from Netball Chiro who says, Joe, not a question, but just wanted to say, and I think she speaks for a lot of people. I'm, oh, Netball. I'm assuming she, apologies if not, says, uh, just wanted to say, thanks for appearing on the show regularly throughout the season. Hope to hear you again next year. Joe, I mean, I've been, we are very, very grateful for your appearances. I, are, are we, can we confirm Joe Sayward for 2020 in the shed? I don't see why
3: not. I haven't had any better offers of late. You know, <laughs> if somebody pays me a vast sum of money to do to exactly the same thing exclusively, I would probably just throw you under the bus. But you know, um, one has to pay for uh, all these travelling around the world larks. So, um, yeah, but th- yeah, let's be honest here: the chances of that happening are pretty <laughs> much zero. So,
2: no, I, I appreciate that. Like, I'm I'm a massive sellout. I will I will sell this shared operation to a massive corporation in a heartbeat. I'm literally open to offers spannersready at gmail.com. com. Uh, from any like- other
3: any, any other formulas with a with a, with a letter in their thing, I'll be happy to accept that. I'm sure so formula A, B, C, whatever, you know, you've got W and E already, you know. So. Yeah.
2: And you'll be excited to know that with the start of the new Formula E season We've rebranded e-radio show officially under the Mist Apex umbrella. So you can search for Mist Apex FE and you will find our race reviews. And then, beautifully, you talk about the F1 calendar, you've had eight races in 11 weeks. The next Formula E weekend is in two months. And that's the kind of scheduling that makes you go, huh...
3: Well it's you've got to bear in mind that the massive crowds have got to make their way to the next venue. I understand that 10 of them made it to Riyadh, but you know, I don't know if that's true or not. I did hear it, but um the, the grandstands were apparently not
2: packed. Oh, oh dear. Oh dear. And they dropped it on a Friday, which would feel, seemed very odd to those of us who were sat in an office.
3: Well, not if you not if you come from the Middle East of course, because
2: Friday is Saturday. Oh, okay. So for them that's Saturday their, their is Sunday day.
3: and Monday. Uh, Sunday is a work day. Very interesting. So the Grand Prix in Bahrain being held on a a Sunday is actually a Monday in the local area. So lots of people, that's why they hold it late in the day so people can go to work uh, before and then go to the race afterwards.
1: Oh,
2: that's fascinating. Okay, I didn't realise that. I I just assumed it was to match European viewing timings on a Sunday, but I guess it nicely coincides with...
3: Well, it probably does as well. It doesn't do any harm, but fundamentally it's to get people in. It's also... Because during the day in Bahrain, it gets very hot. So in the evening, it's quite nice to have a bit of cooler weather um, to watch the race. Because otherwise, you know, you sort of turn into a
2: fried egg sitting in the grandstand seat. Uh, Michael has asked a question which um, I've been pondering myself. Should I take a a trip to the cinema? Uh, Michael says maybe better for the off-season, but we'll do it now. Uh, Has has Joe seen Le Mans 66 uh, or... In North America, it's called Ford versus Ferrari. And what did you think? Was Ken Miles screwed out of Le Mans' win like the film portrayed? Did you enjoy it, Joe?
3: I did see it. And I saw it as Ford and Ferrari. I saw it in Austin. I saw one of the premieres. It was um, it was very nice. I, it was very funny because I was sitting in the cinema and all these Americans, there was a film festival going on and this was part of the Austin Film Festival and everyone was very um, precious and film festivally, you know. Um, but they all enjoyed the film terrifically. I was sitting next to this bloke called Emmanuel A. Piro, who's won Le Mans a few times, and nobody knew. It was very funny. Um, and then we were leaving. It's like sort of, you know, blah, 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 blah. But nobody actually knew there was a Le Mans winner sitting in among them. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a fun film, so long as you don't look at too many facts. I think that's like most racing movies, you know, don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. Um, I think that, uh, on the whole, um, it was, it was okay. I didn't like very much the way uh, that 10 miles' uh, life ended because it made it seem like it was a um, an accident or a mistake. I don't think it was. I think it was a mechanical failure. Um, and uh, I don't know. I, I heard that the, neither Ferrari nor the Ford family is very keen on it, which is not surprising given the um, people involved and what happened in the storyline. Uh, I don't think Enzo Ferrari ever went to Le Mans, but that's a minor point, you know. Um, they like to, you know, I don't know. It was it was good entertainment, and and no motor racing film is bad for the sport unless it's really bad, like that dreadful rubbish that uh, Sylvester Stallone produced, which was called Driven, I believe, but it was known in the industry and still is to this day as drivel. He <laughs> only changed one letter, and that was going to be a Formula One film originally, but uh, Stallone made such a lot of fuss and. And uh, wouldn't sort of follow the rules that Formula One wanted, but he went off to make IndyCar films instead. And, and we had a very lucky escape in that respect.
2: How can Sylvester Stallone go from being in the best football movie ever, <clears throat> Escape to Victory, uh, to then go on to, he, you'd think he'd be have a great sporting movie heritage?
3: Well, he might do, but first of all, his his shoulders are far too big to get in a car, so you'd have to build a a special (laughs) size one for him because he's sort of muscle-bound, isn't he? Uh, He's about the same size as Bernie, Um, so, you know, obviously his head wouldn't stick out the top of the cockpit very much. Um, But it it was just rubbish, really. It was just an awful film. Um, I mean, Days of Thunder was a very decent film about NASCAR. There have been some very bad films as well along the way. I mean, there was was one called Bobby Deerfield, which was – you know, it was a real wrist stuff. Um, but Grand Prix and Le Mans, they were good films. And Rush was was a fairly decent film. I, I, but, I You know, Rush, yeah. When it comes to the cinema, you just have to give up on the idea of expecting to see what really happened. <clears throat> and if you go in with the wrong attitude, you're going to come out with a bad attitude. So
2: Was Le Mans the one where no one said anything and they just had like crowd shots for 10 minutes at a time? I didn't like that one. I was a kid.
3: Uh, I don't know. It's got some great <laughs> bits to it. You know, like the starting sequence with Steve
2: McQueen and sort of tick, 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 tick kind of. That's the one. That's the one. That's what bored me. Right, I, I'll try that again as a grown. Well, you're
3: obviously a man of little <laughs> taste when it comes to cinema. So,
2: all patience, <laughs> do do? all patience, Joe. No, no, I'm, I'm very much yeah. of the, of the modern age. Uh, from Ferrari and Ford to Ferrari versus Mercedes, I, I tweeted out. Uh, you're a very popular man. I tweeted that you were coming on. Uh, at Miss Apex F1, you can follow Joe at Joe Sayward. We had a ton of questions today, Joe. So I'm just going to, I've sort of organized them vaguely into sections. I think I'll just, uh, I'll just be the voice of the listener today. Kevin Duran is wondering about Ferrari and says, what will the dynamic be at Ferrari next season? Vettel started the season as a definite number one, given this season's performances. Ooh, interesting to see if Joe agrees with you there, Kevin. How will uh, each be treated next season there we go what what do you reckon are we starting 2020 with a number one driver
3: they really should have a number one driver because it's i mean i actually i'm all for letting drivers race on the one hand on the other hand if you're running a big corporation and you're trying to be successful what you don't want is your team colliding with one another so that was really not a very good result in brazil and you know john l can the boss of Ferrari did sort of mention that he wasn't awfully happy about it. He probably threw things around the room and stuff like that. That's what most Ferrari presidents usually do. Um, but you know, in a way, it's their own fault because they 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 hired these people in the knowledge that Charles Leclerc was going to be good, in the knowledge that Sebastian Vettel is is you know not necessarily coming towards the end of his career, but he's certainly not at the beginning. So. You know, we've got we've got a, a rising star who's clearly very talented against a guy who's got lots of championships and he's also clearly very talented. So he has some weaknesses. Um, you know, he makes mistakes rather too often, Sebastian. Having said that, Charles has made a few as well. So, you know, I don't think you can um you, you can wholly judge one or the other. Now, who's going to be number one? The answer to that is very simple. The bloke who's number one is the bloke who scores the most points. Now, that doesn't mean that the team treats him as a number one, but you have to also have a sort of grown-up approach to tactics and strategies. So if you know somebody needs to go past somebody else at some point, you've got to have a, a, a partner who's willing to do that. So all things considered, it, it's a kind of weakness, but at the same time, it's a good weakness to have because the team's obviously very strong because of its two drivers.
2: Well, okay. Okay, Joe. Well, you talk about them both being talented, and of course they are. However, if you look at Vettel's record this season, there's been four out of the 20 races so far. So in one-fifth of the races, he, he's had a, a significant error that has cost significant points. Leclerc is ahead of him, but I just get the sense that he's actually been kind of flattered by a lot of Vettel's errors. If you look at Leclerc's season, has has it been the spectacular season that many were hoping for and predicting? I know a bit rough because he's season two of... Formula One and season one of Ferrari, but he's he's certainly not had a spotless season himself.
3: No, oh, but no young driver ever has a spotless season. I mean, you know, it's just the way it is. You crash occasionally as you learn the way. Look at look at what Albon's been doing at Red Bull. You know, he he he's very quick, he's done very well, but every so often he has a crash, which is actually normal. Um, it's only when you get into the really sort of um experienced and 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 remarkable really, uh level of driving that you see from someone like Lewis Hamilton. Now, Max Verstappen's still making mistakes. He's been around for a few years, but you know he's not in the same league as Lewis at the moment. There are people who think he is, but I don't think he is. I don't think any of them are, to be honest. I think Lewis is just head and shoulders above everybody else. I also have a particular theory, which is that the Ferrari's probably had the best car all year. Well, that's and, interesting. you know, I think that Mercedes have done a remarkable job to win as much as they have, given that, I mean, not at, not perhaps at every single race, but in the overall scheme of things, that Ferrari has looked very, very quick all year. Now, admittedly, on occasion, it's a bit too quick, and that's led to a bit of controversy here and there. Um, but, you know, it is what it is at the moment. And they're both struggling against Red Bull. So, you know, we've got a good three-way fight coming, I think, next year.
2: Oh, we were wondering about that uh, yesterday on the, on our news show. We were wondering if that three-way fight can really be maintained. Are you optimistic? Cause so I felt like I was the only genuinely optimistic person on my panel yesterday in that we, we, although that season we've just had isn't that much better than 2018. This year is like the beginning of a new thing with room to grow with Honda. Whereas last season felt like the end of the road with Renault. And I don't know. I feel a bit more optimistic for Red Bull.
3: Well, let's let's not let's not uh, put too many limits on it. It could be a five-team season next year. You never know. McLaren with a Mercedes engine in it oh. might be quite useful.
2: Is, that's twenty twenty one, though, isn't it? McLaren Mercedes. Oh, true. Yes, yeah, sorry, midbrain's gone. <laughs> that's um, okay.
3: Yeah. Okay. Well, let's rewind that one and then just say I can still come up with two more. Don't worry. Um, Renault could make a leap forward, which they're due to do, Um and actually, I think that tour ross has done a pretty remarkable job um now whether it can beat red bull on a regular basis is another matter whether it be allowed to um but you know nonetheless i don't think they're world championship material but they, i could see them actually winning a race again which is quite remarkable
2: excellent uh let's stick with ferrari for a second because i have questions from people uh but i can't i can't skip past what you were talking about with um the Ferrari car being too fast sometimes, uh, or overly suspiciously fast, uh, without going into the whole technical directives, uh, are they doing something naughty uh, debate, which uh, I've been having continuously for weeks, what I found most interesting was that the teams didn't lodge a formal complaint, but that the the FIA took it into their own hands and and took these fuel systems for inspection. And it's one of two things. It's either a PR exercise to try and just clean everything up and stop everybody moaning and whinging about ferrari or this is the FIA going do you know what actually you're the kids we're the grown-ups we're in charge H- how do you see that the seizing of the fuel systems
3: i think that uh, a lot's been made of that but the FIA is always taking little bits and pieces and having looks at them and stuff like that i i have great faith in the FIA I'm doing a good job joe bauer who is the uh, chief um I can't remember what his official title is these days, but he's basically the man in charge of all all technical matters on the ground. And I'm absolutely sure that Joe is straight as a die. Um, you no, know, I, I just can't even imagine Joe uh, anyone sort of sort of nudging him and saying, "Hey, how about do we give you some money or something that like that?" Just, team,
2: that could be any team. That, that could be
3: any team. That could be any team. It could. Yes, there's the Italians working everywhere. Um, <laughs> But, you know, it's just I don't think I don't think there's any potential for that at all. I think where there's potential is where you have grey areas, as the famous grey areas, as Tom Walkinshaw used to say, where you have regulations that basically you're only caught cheating if you're caught. So you can go into areas which are legally arguable and you have to If someone finds out what you're doing and challenges you, you have to find a way of justifying it, or you have to just uh, accept that uh, you're wrong. And that's really how it's done nowadays. So these technical directives from the FIA are actually incited by the teams. They are the team ask questions, and can we do this? And the and the and the FIA says, no, you can't. Don't be ridiculous. That's cheating. That goes out, and then people change. Things. So if a team is thinking that, say say you think we know what Ferrari is doing, you go to the FIA, say, can we do this? And they say no. Out goes the technical directive, which Ferrari read, for example. And if that then changes the level of performance, which some people think it did, um it definitely- you know, we have to wait and, and see what happens. But basically, um, you know, I think it's a fairly grown-up process. And I think the teams are fairly grown up about it too. How having said that, you know, in the world of GPS data, there are some things that are just impossible. You cannot do certain things because of the laws of physics and the data. So when cars start doing things that do not make sense <laughs> and cannot be explained by any legal means, it's not entirely surprising that teams get upset and begin to look for what's the what the problem is. And because clearly there is something going on in that case.
2: Oh, see, oh, you nearly said, and clearly there is something going on. If, if, if we were to edit out the, if that's the case, that would sound like you coming down definitely on the side of Ferrari. But you wouldn't do Ferrari that. Ferrari got. I would fake. never. That
3: would be fake news or whatever it's called. So it's pretty I'm tempting. not coming down on the side of anybody. But Ferrari hasn't been caught. They haven't been, you know, banged to rights, if you like. Um, there, there is no, there are no agendas at the FIA anymore, which has been the case in the past. Um, when certain teams have been targeted, um, you know, for political reasons, whatever, you know. Uh, but you know, I, I give people the benefit of the doubt until they're until it's actually bang to rights. And when they're bang to rights, I'll kick them like hell because we don't want to have people cheating in Formula One. Formula One's about playing the game properly. So <laughs> um, anyone caught cheating deserves any kicking they get.
2: So you you will wait until there's better evidence. And Joe, that is why you've been an FIA accredited journalist for for 30 years and i'm i'm in a shed in bedfordshire so yeah
3: that's no it's not yeah. i mean <laughs> there have been moments believe me i i was looking through a box of old passes the other day and i found a race by race pass from i can't remember the year but there was a period of time when i fell out sufficiently with the fia and with the formula one group to have my pass in question really? so, yeah there was a time when that did that and and and, and somebody said to me I don't, how do I say this without getting into trouble? I can't really. This is what was said to Let's me. Go for it, it was Max Mosley said, "You know, you can you can annoy me some of the time. You can annoy Bernie. Just don't do us both at the same time." <laughs> give us give us a give us a chance now. Those no. weren't the words he used. I think the words were pissed off. But there you are. Uh, don't, you know.
2: And then he said, "Shut up, Joe. Come on, we're trying to enjoy this party. Stop being a square. Stop talking." No, shop.
3: no, no. I, I never go to parties with Max Mosley. Don't be ridiculous. Um, I am far too square for that kind of party. Anyway. Um, yeah, and Bernie sort of winked at me and gave me the pass. So,
2: oh, okay, good. Like a like a like a old fashioned knock on your door, little warning there, without without a proper punishment.
3: Well, no, it was a family. You know, Formula One. <clears throat> I'm I was sort of you know in media terms, I was always the sort of annoying brat who would always <laughs> be doing things, and so you get slapped down occasionally by by the powers that be who were sort of doing things along their own way. But you know, I was younger then.
2: Who's the Who's the modern day Joe Sayward then? Who's the modern day rogue? I don't
3: think there are, it's very different nowadays because, I mean, you, I look back and read some of the things that I wrote in that era. And you just, if you did it nowadays, you'd be, you'd be, um, everyone would be needing Epsom salts to survive, you know, and then Twitter would have exploded into a million pieces, some of the things I wrote. You know, I'd write things like, this man is rubbish and shouldn't be allowed to race in Formula One, you know, this kind of stuff. And that was quite normal. You know, in, in those days, we had much more, um, there were there were far fewer people being politically correct about everything. Nowadays, if you if you even suggest that someone's got a broken eyelash, you know, Twitter will explode saying that's anti eyelash ish or whatever it is. They they've got their head
2: get on woke at Joe. The moment. Get <laughs> woke. Uh, Mark Greenhouse says so. You cheat until you're caught, with the only penalty being to stop cheating. And actually, this is from uh, A7 says yes. Renault had that system for years, the one they got caught with, and only got a one-race penalty. I, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? That's the mentality. The, the ones you get away with, you pretty much get away with it. They're not no, going to no, go back. No, no, but it's back. not cheating
3: unless you're caught.
2: Yeah, there, there we go. I mean, that's no, part that, of the, the fact.
3: The, the, the truth of the matter is, it's not cheating unless you're caught. And then if, if you're caught, then you have to mitigate the circumstances and get off with it as best you can. Now, there have been occasions... Uh, Renault being a good example, when McLaren was being nailed to the cross and charged 100 million, Renault did almost exactly the same thing, probably worse actually, uh, and got nothing. You know, so it's a, in those days it was a political game, and it's not very nice. And the whole thing was skewed and nasty. Nowadays, um, I think generally speaking, we trust the FIA uh, team on the ground. We trust the the stewarding much more than we used to. Um, you know, there's some things wrong with the FIA as well, for sure. But you know, I think as a whole, it does a better job than it used to.
2: Joe, there's some comments in the chat room about Max Mosley. Can't read any of them, but thank you so much for the people who join us in the live chat. You can subscribe to us on YouTube, search for Missed Apex Podcast and subscribe there. There's a, a notification bell if you want that and you'll see when we go live. You can get it up on your phone and you can see our faces and chat along. It's a lot of fun, especially after a race. For the last race review, we had at points nearly 700 people at a time live chatting and over 3000 people joined in that live stream. So it's busy. It's chaotic. It's a lot of fun. I hope you'll come and join us on Facebook. Search for our chat group there as well at Mist Apex F1 on Twitter and myself at Spanners Ready on Twitter. Joe is at Joe Saywood where Paul Young asked about Ferrari personnel in general. I'd love to know if Joe Saywood Asks Paul Young, has any insider info on what Ferrari's plans are if Vettel were to retire? I don't believe they have a junior programme of any substance. And Peter follows up, Peter in Perth. So that is in Australia. This is a motivated question. What are the chances of Ricciardo, sorry, Ricardo, driving for Ferrari in 2021? Is there a, a post-Vettel plan?
3: Um, no, I wouldn't have thought they've got anything particularly in mind at the moment. They don't need one. I think if Vettel decided to walk, they just go and pick up Nico Hülkenberg, who's wandering around with nothing to do. Um, Hülkenberg wouldn't be a bad choice because he's a decent peddler, but he's not going to threaten Leclerc. And, and that's, when I go back to the argument about how best to run a racing team, the answer is to have um, a number one and a very good one and a half. You don't want two number ones because if you have two number ones, you have conflict and Conflict is not always positive. Conflict can be positive, um, but, you know, when you have things like Brazil, it's not positive at all. So, um, Ferrari has a long tradition of getting a driver. So, Michael Schumacher had Eddie Irvine and Rubens Barrichello, who yeah. was sort of his cheerleaders, if you like. I mean, they were fighting pretty hard. And then Fernando Alonso, as we all know, had Felipe Massa, and, and, and so on and so forth. So, running two number ones is not necessarily the smartest thing to do. So I think Halkenberg would be a very, I mean, Halkenberg thinks of himself as a number one, I'm sure, but you know, the results don't really bear it out. And uh, so I think he'd be a very, now he's not going anywhere, anywhere at the moment. He's sitting around. So if they need him, they they can pick up the phone and call him. But right now he hasn't got anything else. So, um, you know, they're they're quite comfortable, I should think.
2: Is there any chance that the, 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 the clashing between Leclerc and Vettel if it continues? Because there's actually, there's been a few this season, not just the major ones. There's been a few times where they've actually like touched and got away with it. If is there is, is that the Ferrari way? If it just keeps happening next season, is there a chance that like by Barcelona, they go, th- this is not tenable and one of you's got to go?
3: I doubt it because you have to pay, um, yeah. if you fire people, you're going to have to pay them lots of money or go into legal action, whatever. And you don't want to do that because the kind of money you're talking about um is rather huge and you're not going to fire the cheap bloke if he's the faster bloke are you so no. <laughs> um you know you're kind of you're kind of stuck on that one um i think basically this uh, this problem will probably be solved by uh what sebastian vettel wants to do in the future because he can't really afford to sit around at ferrari and get beaten more times by Leclerc. Now he's no. fought back recently, to be fair to him. Um, you know, he's sort of dug deep and, and, and beaten him in qualifying a few times and and uh so you know, there's life in the old dog yet. But uh I think we still at the end of the day I think Sebastian will in the middle of next year sometime will decide whether he wants to stay at Ferrari or go somewhere else or retire. Um and then I think Ferrari I, I think Ferrari will have made um, if they don't want Sebastian anymore, they'll have somebody on a string. Probably, actually, they've probably got him already. You reckon? Um, well, they they have a they have a, a long established tradition of hiring somebody about eighteen months ahead, and then are not talking about it.
2: Oh, but, but perhaps, but perhaps, um, making sure one of their junior teams doesn't sign that driver, uh, like Haas telling telling Nico Hulkenberg, "No, sorry, we've been told to be hands off in case Ferrari need you." That kind of thing.
3: Uh, I don't know where you got that idea from, but
2: oh, that was a, that it. was an outrageous rumor. I I tried to spread that no one.
3: Believed. Well, it was a, it was a very outrageous one, and a load of old toss, If I may be so bold, um, I don't think I don't. I, don't know. I mean, at the moment, if you are looking around, who would you hire? That's that's another point. You know, you can look at it and you can say, well, we'd hire Max Verstappen. Obviously. Um, but then again, you know, Max Verstappen going into a team where Charles Leclerc already his feet under the table. Is perhaps not a great idea. He's probably better for where he is, better off where he is. We've also got Lewis, and, and what's Lewis going to do? Um, we have Valtteri. How long is Valtteri going to sit around and wait? No, no, but why well, Paul Faces? Valtteri would be a very oh, good idea. Oh, no, no. Player.
2: That was at the thought of Lewis Hamilton going to Ferrari. I just felt, I just felt a bit queasy. I didn't
3: say Lewis Hamilton going oh, to Ferrari. Right, I, I, mean. I think that's a completely ridiculous yeah.
2: idea.
3: But I don't think it's ridiculous that Valtteri Botas might go there.
2: Thing for is, though, example, Joe, both of those drivers you've just mentioned. Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bartas, they are going to have to find new drives because, as Weitz van Bruggen uh, points out, the Mercedes are going to stop. They're going to quit. Uh, he says, any validity to the Says I-. who? I, I mean, it's been doing the rounds, hasn't it? That Ola, story.
3: Yes, I know, but doing the rounds means that a bunch of d***ers with no idea are just chat, chatting away to each other, going, well, yeah, they're going to stop. Ola Kalanias, the chairman of Daimler, said the other day, um, Toto Wolff, uh, said, it's not a given that we'll stay in Formula 1. What, why did he say that?
2: It, it he is said a that given. because
3: we're going into a commercial negotiation where the big teams, with the exception of Ferrari, who've already got the deal they want, everybody else has got to create some kind of leverage. And the only way you create leverage is pretending you're going to leave. Ah, I see. But they're not going to leave because the Formula 1 is worth its weight in <laughs> gold to them, particularly Mercedes, which is what Mr. Kalenius said. Calenius said know, this has been far more value than we put into it. I mean, you know, why would you stop? Now, Renault is a bit different because they're changing the, the managing director of CEO at the moment. So we don't really know, but why would you throw away all the money they put into Formula One? Honda, same thing. Red Bull, come on. It's just not going to happen. Um, so. Who else is interesting? who might leave? Nobody. The fact is they're just trying to get more money out of Liberty because Liberty doesn't want to give them more money. It, it goes in, in cycles in the history of Formula One. This is a regular occurrence. And Ferrari have kind of given up rattling the sabre and saying we're going to leave because nobody believes them anyway. So the way they do it is they get the deal they want and then they just shut up and let everyone else argue about
2: it. Well, I mean, can we, we can't really trust anything Toto says because he's lined up to become the CEO of Liberty Media.
3: Uh, we accept that there's a thing called the Toto-Wolf clause, which means that nobody who's been a team principal, recent team principal, would be allowed to take that role. Is that right? I believe in the contract being negotiated, the commercial contract, there might be a clause known as the Toto-Wolf clause that makes <laughs> that um, impossible. However, it, nothing is decided as yet. But also there's a question of whether Toto-Wolf will be the best possible person for that job, you know. Is he the kind of guy who can walk in and smooch with presidents of um, countries all over the world? Oh, I mean, Chase Carey has got that gravitas of, of a super uh, super level businessman. Uh, you know, he's been at the top end of Fox Corporation for a very long time, so he's he's got the kind of gravitas that you need. And I think um, in the role of CEO of Formula One, after all the negotiations are done, remember. Um, you need somebody who's that kind of level to do the deals with the government, who can get uh, get things moving when you need to get them moving. And I think a, a senior uh, car executive who's retired or something like that would be probably better suited to the role. The other thing is, if you're if you're a Formula One team principal, you arrive right with baggage, you know, and the baggage is not something you want. It's going to take you a few years to, to sort of fix that baggage. So why bother?
2: Yep. And thank you very much to at Tyre for, for that rumour of uh, Toto Wolf leaving Mercedes and becoming CEO of Liberty Media.
0: How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
2: I think while we're talking about um, about uh, teams and their involvement, Matt Trumpets, my co-host yesterday, was very adamant that this uh, VW announcement that they're pulling out of all uh, ICE, uh, internal combustion engine motorsports, is, is super significant to Formula One. I wasn't quite seeing that. I did. No, no, not, no opinion on that.
3: I don't see, I, all I see is, is, a, is a bunch of Germans who got caught cheating, um, at looking at ways of trying to look green. They're making a huge bet on the electric car, and there's an awful lot of people who don't think the electric car is the future. The Automobile Club de l'Ouest, for example, just signed up a thing with the European Union on hydrogen because they believe that hydrogen is the future. And a lot of car people believe that hydrogen is the future. There's lots of problems with cars. The most significant of all electric cars is the fact that nobody's buying them. Two percent, two percent of the cars on the road today are electric cars. Now, in order to get to any significant level, you're talking of at least 10 to 15 years um, and, 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 you know, there's no guarantee that growth will remain as it is because when government subsidies stop, people stop buying them. Last month or last in July, I think it was in China, sales of electric cars went down because the government stopped giving them the same benefits as before. So you can manipulate things a little bit as a government, but you can't make physics make better batteries. You can't make people believe that a car will go 500 kilometers and, you know, at, a certain speed, as opposed to crawling along, and you've also got to bear in mind that when you've got there, you've got to wait six hours before you can come home again. You know, there's all kinds of things that make people not want to buy cars.
2: Okay, so firstly, just just for a bit of balance, I think that is an infrastructure problem. I think we can have the infrastructure to make electric cars more no, viable. No, it's not an
3: infrastructure problem; it's a physics problem mm. because fundamentally, you cannot. You, you've got to make batteries that do the job that are exactly the same or better than a petrol car. Okay, then you get that, people will start buying them in big numbers. To get there, you're talking about a very serious problem. And, you know, we get press releases every other week about the latest breakthrough in battery technology. And, you know, this unobtainment will give us a 1,000-kilometer range at 700 miles an hour. It won't you know the, the fact is there's a lot of tosh talked and the other thing is that unobtanium is very hard to find it's in the middle of the desert it costs a huge amount of money and it cannot be scaled up to make it usable for the main for the for the majority of people in the world so the problem is a physical problem and when they get through that and they may well get through it in the fullness of time but battery development in the course of the last 10 years despite all the money that's been poured into it not finding solutions
2: okay well, all right i mean i think we're we're, we're in a world of borrowing badges and then you're trying to make a load of birds borrow and saying see well they're not very good at borrowing but if we let them fly and we adapt around a flying culture then i think you know i think you might find those electric cars are a little bit more of a, a reasonable proposition than we have now trying to fit ev vehicles into a petrol driven economy
3: Except that, that hybrid cars are by far the more sensible route of going down that path yeah, they're good. while reducing, you know, making making the fuel go further. I think that Formula One made the right choice. And I thought Formula E is just – its it's a it's – a, they took a gamble and they were lucky that the – the emissions scandal came along, and all the manufacturers went, Oh my God, we got to dress up in green clothing oh, and dear. rushed off to race there because it was cheap and because it was green.
2: Okay. And forward your emails to joe saywood at shed.com uh, uh, for, for all your complaints there. I'm just being realistic. I mean, you know, I understand that there's lots of people out
3: there who are wearing blinkers and who don't necessarily want to see it that way. They want to see the world being different and green and Greta Thunberg. um, No, don't mention...
2: Oh, wow. That's that's my whole morning tomorrow. Acceptable. You know, acceptable
3: to her. Everything must be acceptable to her these days. Um, Yeah, but the fact is that in order to get things to that point, there's a lot of work that needs to be done, and I don't think it's being done in the right places all the time. That's all.
2: Fair enough, Joe. Fair enough, Joe. Uh, You can be like Joe or you can be like me. Uh, You can join the queue to buy the new Cybertruck. Oh, boy, do I want that. I'm going to cut the back out. I'm going to put like a like a warthog mini gun at the top of it, and I'm going to pretend. I'm going to dress up in full Master Chief costumes. Me and my buddy's going to roll around full on Halo Warthog style. Viva le future, Joe. Can, would can you I just
3: leap in there at that <laughs> point and say? I don't know if you saw a tweet I did this morning, but it was basically about self-driving cars and future and technology, <laughs> yes, and that the is country stuff. Somebody's going to write a country song before too long because the truck's going to leave the man in question,
2: isn't it? (laughs) Yes. I cannot wait for that day. Joe, let's move on. Would you class yourself, as well as a journalist, would you class yourself as a blogger because you blog and it's called The Green Notebook?
3: Yeah, I I guess I would class myself as a blogger. I mean, I can't not, can I? But there's nothing wrong with being a blogger. It's not an insult. It's an insult if you're just blogging around with, with nothing much to say. It's just a waste of time, isn't it? But if you've got some some useful input into the world, uh, I don't see anything wrong with being a blogger.
2: I don't see it as an insult. And actually, I see being a blogger as a, a very good thing. And the fact that your blog is a consistent blog, you're not just a journalist that occasionally will write something down and put it on their website. The Green Notebook in particular could be a blog of its own where you do a kind of little travel log and a little like insight into you, your life, the schedule, well worth checking out. This is just my way of telling people to head over to, it's not Joe. Joe, just search Joe Saywood blog and you find it, don't you?
3: I think it's Joe blog's F1 or last time I looked, but there's only there one go. or two sort of
2: glitches with it along the way. So, Well, there we go. Joe Blogs F1 is a logical place to start looking anyway. And as a blogger, you could, for example, feature on me and Matt Trumpet's new podcast that features online content creators called Welcome to the Shed. Go and check that out on iTunes, your podcatcher of choice, or you can find it at Spreaker.com. Welcome to the Shed. That was my excuse. That was my excuse to plug my new thing. Uh, Let's ask more F1 things. In your Green Notebook blog, there was a story about Jack Villeneuve doing his school, uh, mm-hmm. which was encouraging, you know, young drivers that were under, underfunded. And I don't know if you caught Lewis Hamilton on the Graham Norton show mentioning that he wanted to do more work as well on uh, encouraging people like him from the sort of background he had uh, to get into motorsport. Uh, and he he sort of mentioned that it's gone backwards a little bit, that it's now worse than ever for working families, normal families, if you like, to get their kids into motorsport. And then cryptically mentioned a friend who was leapfrogged, uh, to, to get into F1 by, by a very wealthy kid. So, you know, do you see that these drivers are going to start looping around and having actual grassroots karting that can get, like, if you put go karts in every public school, uh, in every, um, state school, you would find you'd have a full grid of lewis hamiltons within a generation.
3: That's well, assuming you, th- you 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 consider go-karting to be the way to learn how to do things. It's not. Some people do, some people don't. Um, you know, there's an awful lot of people who are discussing nowadays whether or not a lot of the uh, learning that one does um, which costs money uh, could not be done in a virtual fashion. Um, you know, you, you can learn what not to do. I'm not necessarily advocating that entirely because you know ultimately you have to get into a car. But I think what's great about Jack's scheme is that it, it basically it is crazy. Even top-level karting is crazy. You know, it's like seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars for a top-line kart drive these days, which is insane. Who can afford that? Uh Formula Four which Jack is providing a drive. The prize drive for his racing school is a Carlin car in British Formula four, which means if you're any good, you can win the championship because Carlin, that's, you know, they've won four of the last five championships. They know what they're doing. So a decent driver there can get put on the map. Um And it's going to cost Jack 400,000 or whatever deal he struck with Carlin. Um But it's a very good thing. And I, and I think we need more things like that. The, the, the the thought process behind it, actually, uh, Jacques' mate, long time mate Patrick Lemarié, actually, if you had the uh, had the accent, Patrick Lemarié, who was a Formula One test driver um, and raced at you know, a very decent level, uh, was a finalist in a thing they used to call the Volant Elf back in the nineteen nineties. And if you won the Volant Elf, um, your chances of getting up into motor racing, serious motor racing, increased enormously. So if you look at the winners, the year that Patrick finished third, he was beaten by Olivier Panis and Ivan Muller, both of whom went on to glory. Uh, Many of the Volantelves went on. Prost was a Tom Bay, Pironi. There's a whole string of them, mainly in France. Damon Hill wasn't a elf, but he went to the same racing school. And so, basically, you learn how to do things. You're taught by very good instructors. Then you have a competition to see who's best, and the winner comes out. And this year, Jacques' first winner was a, was a guy called Maren uh, Marine Kremers, who was a Dutch kart racer. He'd won the KZ World Championship. Didn't have any money to go on up the ladder. Raced against Max. He's the same age as Max. Raced against Max a lot when they were young. Uh, didn't have the money to do what Max did. Uh, and now this gives him the chance to be launched into um, British Formula 4 next year. So watch out for the name. He's good. He's a very impressive young man. Um, and I think we'll see more of him in the future. The guy who finished third, and sadly I, I can't remember his name without looking it up, but the guy who finished third in the competition was a butcher who'd never done any <laughs> competitive karting. And he finished third uh, beating proper, know, cart races with many years experience. And this is the other great value of a competition like this is if you have somebody who's really good but doesn't quite win it, they can they will be spotted by somebody and somebody will say, This kid was really good. Let's put him into something. Let's try and you know sign him up for something. Like you know, watch out for a butcher from Marseille because, you know, to have done that on your first basic um and, and you know he's getting better all the time so we know his starting level of potential we don't know where it will finish so i think that he is you know somebody worth watching for and i wish i could remember his name
2: it's it's like when gareth gates didn't win the original pop stars the rivals no the the one before that oh don't act like you don't know I'm joe i'm foreign you
3: know i've lived in france
2: 25 years who the hell is gareth gates he finished you know. second and and but he had the better, uh, but he was still spotted and signed and everything. And uh, Will Young won it. And I think cynically, I was suspicious at the time. I thought Will Young needs to win and Gareth Gates doesn't. And there's there's me rehashing a 15 year old argument. But I feel as passionate today as I did after that final. Uh,
3: but can I can I just say at this point that you look around England and try to find um schemes like, like this. We need schemes like that. Lewis Hamilton, if he wants to do it, he's got the money. You know, you can do it. You can have the Lewis Hamilton Racing School, the racing competition, the Lewis Hamilton prize at the end of the year launches a career. It's great.
2: I I this might be an unpopular opinion. It might even be an ignorant opinion. Obviously, there's loads of great racing drivers in the world, but I, I think you would be hard pressed to argue that motorsport has the same same depth of quality and skill as you go down the tiers as, say, football. Whereas you go to like even Saturday league football in your local town, the standard can be really, really high. I think it doesn't take long in motorsport to go down the series before people can who who don't know even those vehicles can jump in and be competitive. Is that, is that, <coughs> is that unfair, Joe? And I think that is obviously because the amount of participants is limited by cash supply. Whereas in football, no, th- anyone? Uh, yes,
3: and no. I think I think that once you get into what I call professional racing, full-time racing, I think the level is pretty high. There are people who've got a lot more money than others, and they are going to climb the ladder faster. It's just it's just the way of the world. But you know, something it's always been like that. It's always been that way, and it, the only reason it wasn't that way is when there were schemes to help youngsters. In the case of Lewis Hamilton, it was Ron Dennis who who plucked him out of obscurity, and so "This is a kid I, I'm going to have and train up." But you have, I mean, the, the the greatest example of all was Elf, the French oil company that supported French racing for from early '70s until 2014, 15, something like that, um, at a huge level, and that's why there were so many French racing drivers in the '70s and '80s, just because this scheme. Pushed them along. There were there was there were things in Britain, but they never really amounted to anything like that kind of level of um, of driving forward talent. Now at the moment we have we have Formula One teams who are picking drivers young and then bringing them up, um, which is good. You know, it's good to see that. But I I think that you can also throw away a lot of talent, as Red Bull have done, um, which doesn't deserve to be thrown away um but you know it's better to have think people i think who are not necessarily directly involved to fund these kind of projects but i think that there's certainly room for them and there's certainly enough rich people in motor racing to be able to afford it
2: uh yeah i'm getting some flack when i'm talking about the the levels in motorsport and the karting is being used as an example that actually that fo- that follows up my point that backs up my point at karting which is much more accessible the standard is actually incredibly high and you would find drivers from top tiers trying to jump into a go-kart and try and compete even at bradley's british rental kart championships or the world rental kart championships yeah yeah that's right that is far more competitive that makes my point perfectly the more people that are able to self-select to go into a competition the higher the standard will be which is why football has uh, a much higher standard than uh, equestrian. What's the one where the horses dance? That one, obviously. Dressage. <laughs> there you go, dressage. Oh so, well,
3: yeah, dressage, you have to buy a horse. Yeah, know? exactly. It's as simple as that. You have to buy a horse and then work very hard. As a former owner of a dressage horse, I can
2: tell you that. Yeah, of course, me too. I've got several out the back of the shed. Uh, Joe, the only seat that's left is Williams. Uh, I think actually, isn't it? No, isn't it's it? not. Isn't it? Oh, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's, it's not.
3: There are no seats left. I don't know what you're on about.
2: Right. Okay. So it's the the Latifi guy.
3: Well, knock me down with a feather. You got it in one.
2: Okay. I don't know anything about this this fella. What should we expect to see? Should we be? Well, he's a
3: talented driver. Enough. He's he finished second in the Formula Two championships. That's pretty good. And he comes from one of the wealthiest families in the world, um, not just in Canada. He, he makes the strolls look like poor people. Really? So, oh yes, yes. So, money. Finding money from your suppliers, whatever they'll they'll find a way of doing it. People don't like rich people don't like spending their own money much, but they will find a way of doing it, and it will it will happen. So you know let's not be silly about these matters. Uh, going back to the question about money, uh, is Latifi the best possible choice out of the Formula One field of this year? Well, yes, no, whatever. He won, you know, he's done well enough. He's won a lot of races. Um, is Nick DeVries a better option? I don't know. Nick DeVries doesn't have the money to go forward, it's just the way it is.
2: So are Williams still dependent on a big pay driver to, to make their, their team work?
3: Uh they are dependent on having money, yes.
2: And can they use that money to do anything? Because it's not I mean, we've we've almost forgotten about them this season. It's like people have even got bored of kicking them and they certainly have been down and they've been a long way out. I mean, I saw them even struggling. It seemed to catch up with the pack of the safety car before one of the restarts and the first restart uh, in Brazil. Is there there anything they can do to get closer?
3: Um, That's a a difficult question to answer because there's lots of things they can do. But the fact of the matter is that they have a fundamental uh, problem. It's not an existential problem, i.e. it's not currently threatening their existence, but it might do but they've they need to find out how to be a, a top line racing team again, and you know I don't think there's enough people there who know how to do it, and uh, that really I think how, you, how can you can, you can have performances like that with a Mercedes engine is actually quite upsetting to me. I'm a big Williams fan, but I'm upset by what I'm seeing now
2: right so. Well, thanks for being so candid, Joe. I, I could tell with your initial response, it's a I would love to be sitting here telling you that there's a way for them to jump back in. I could I could feel that coming through the the screen um, uh, because you're not. Well, there is
3: there 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 are ways that they could make a lot of progress, but they're not willing to do that. So, um, you know, we'll just have to see what happens in in the fullness of time. The thing is that with the new commercial agreements coming up, uh, the the back end of the grid teams can actually. Or should be able to survive if nothing else. Now that's not right necessarily. You know, one of the reasons that Bernie always had an eleventh team was to keep the tenth and ninth teams on their toes. You don't want anyone being a passenger. Um, and the new system um, has a sort of potential to allow some passengers. Uh, And, you know, Williams really should be doing better with a Mercedes engine. They should be doing better. It's really no excuse. If you look at everybody else, um, I mean, there are some people doing good jobs and bad jobs, but fundamentally, they're just doing the worst job of the lot. Yes. but but, If if you look at Force India or whatever they're called this week, Racing Point went through a a period of administration last year, and they're still able to, to compete at a sensible level. And that kind of tells you where Williams are at.
2: Fantastic! Thank you very much for the chat room comments. There, we are going to move on from Williams. Thank you to Armand there as well, who's donated five Swiss Swiss. Is it bucks dollars? What do, what are they franks. using? Oh, francs. Swiss Five Swiss francs. Is that? incredibly high valued or can i retire not
3: really but it's a strong currency that doesn't go up and down too ah, much so.
2: there we go well i'll go splitsies with you joe thank you very much armand you can do that in the super chat or you can support missed apex podcast on patreon.com forward slash missed apex uh, we are going to be here doing our live race review at 8 p.m on sunday so do come and join us live for that it's loads of fun with the live stream but if you don't catch us there our our Well, finished, edited video and audio will be ready for your Monday morning commute. Uh, Joe, a question here from Sam, from Sam Bush, from Sam. It's a question from Sam. Oh, you've got some Swiss francs there. Is that 10? 10. I just found it in front of me on the desk. Oh, wow. Joe just has loads of money just scattered around. Actually, you must have lots of international money from your... I do have lots
3: of international money. It's not scattered around. I try to keep it in one place, but every so often some of it sneaks out.
2: So, A question from Sam Beschutzin says, Joe, this is less of a question, just more me begging than anything else. There's desperation in this question, Joe. Uh, This is more me begging than anything else. Please, Joe, give me a reason to be optimistic about Haas next year. And a one-word answer is perfectly acceptable here, Joe.
3: Uh, because the car is good. The car is a good car. It just, they can't keep it at the level. Um, if you look at where they qualified sometimes in the top 10 recently, there were two of them in the top 10 somewhere or other. Um, all they have to do is to figure out how on earth to make those tires work on the car and they will be in the mix. So I don't think there's anything to be depressed about. Um, the only thing I'd be a little bit depressed about is the fact that the, the two drivers will probably go on colliding with each other. But you know, that is um I'm not sure I would have made the same call <laughs> no. if 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 Nico was on the market. Um I think I would have gone for for Nico. But then again, you know, if you have Nico and Kevin, which you would have to have mm. because uh, Kevin had a contract for the for the year ahead. And Kevin and, and Nico of course really don't get on. Um there are one or two famous quotes yes. along this matter, um, which we won't go into as it's a family show.
2: You, I mean, you've already said several things. Um, 55 minutes into the show isn't the time to suddenly realize that, Joe. Uh, okay. But, okay, okay. but I agree with you. Like, they selected Grosjean over Hulkenberg. It's almost as if they couldn't employ Hulkenberg for some mysterious reason. No, but it's
3: not even that. I mean, the fact is that Roman Grosjean is quick. You cannot argue that he's not quick. It's just that he makes lots of mistakes and does some dumb things along the way. But he is a quick racing driver. So, um, I think also the team felt quite rightly that they had not given the drivers a proper chance this year, and that you know perhaps it was nicer, better to um, to support them because cause okay. Roman's been there since the beginning.
2: Yeah, he has. I mean, he is very fast. It's just the stopping in time and the direction specifically that he goes in. I had the opportunity uh, to to drive a, a Peugeot two hundred six GTI. In their production cup, they let me have a go, and as I came out of the pit lane at Silverstone, the first thing I, I the first thing that came through my head was that's where Grosjean hit the pit lane, the, the pit lane exit, and I was like, yeah, I did better than Grosjean as I went out into the the, the farm, uh, the, the village complex, sorry, the loop, I think it's called, isn't it? Um But every race, I look at the odds, and Roman Grosjean has the shortest odds to DNF first to, to go out first in every race. I mean, it's an incredible record of. Of just of, of just not being very finishy, isn't it? Okay, good. Sorry, Joe, won't keep you much longer. I know you've got grandchildren and packing and everything and all sorts. When do you leave for Abu Dhabi? Uh,
3: I don't know. Um, what day is it today?
2: <laughs> it's a bit like that, isn't it? It's Monday today. It's a Joe. Monday today,
3: yeah. I think I'm leaving on Wednesday. So I will get there um, very early on uh, Where Thursday morning. And, uh, and then I'll be there until very late on Sunday night and then I shall fly home and the the season will come to a suitable ending. And then of course, I mean, it's all very well saying you're flying home, but then there's a million other things to be done in the week or two after that before Christmas. Oh,
2: like, do you go to the awards? What's it?
3: There's all kinds of awards, jobbies and me bobs and this and that, and, and there's just a lot to do. Um, so it doesn't really stop until the Christmas break is upon us. Really? And, uh, Oh yeah, I mean by the time we produced it we we produced a, a Grand Prix Plus review of the year. Um, Grand Prix Plus is Abby your Gabby- yeah.
2: We should say Grand Prix Plus is your uh, e-magazine that comes out yes. after the end of every race so people can go and subscribe to that for next season uh, which is at uh, flatoutpublishing.com
3: Yes, that's one right. of the places. But GrandPrixPlus.com also works. on ah, there you go.
2: Um,
3: although at the moment, you know, we we are we haven't actually opened the subscription for next year yet. We will do it this week, um, and you can rush in and buy. You get you get next year with how many races we've got next year? Um, Twenty-two races next year. Is that right? Yes, it is. Uh, we'll have twenty-four uh, magazines. And they come out six hours after the race. About ninety pages of fantastic informed um, and interesting stuff.
2: But it's a proper read though, Joe, isn't it? I mean we're so used to now very short, sharp bulletin points. You see the headline, there's about five paragraphs of the thing that happened and and it's out of that. I mean these are this sounds stupid, but it's proper. They're proper articles. It's, it's proper, proper,
3: it's proper it's proper old school journalism. And it is journalism that's important to be old school because in ten years from now, if you want to know what happened in the Afghanistan Grand Prix of 2019 or wherever, um, you can't actually find it because it's all in bit points and all the blubber and jibber-jabber won't be there anymore. Yeah. So actually to find out what really happened and who said what and all the rest of it, you know, the old school is still good. And the thing, the glorious thing about um, a virtual magazine is you can keep hundreds of them in your computer without making a, a huge dent in it. And you don't have to have wall space. I mean, I, I had 20 years or something, probably more than that, of auto sports at one point, uh, which I gave away in the end to a garage because I couldn't move them. They, they weighed too many tons <laughs> to move it all. But you know, virtual magazines weigh nothing. It's genius.
2: No, it's true. And you can get the whole year's subscription for about the price of two autosport magazines currently. <laughs> Because they, they put, no, their- I think they've taken the, the
3: price down oh, again. You, okay. it's it's cheap as chips, and you can buy you can buy the entire backlog for for very little money, less than sort of a nice night out, to be honest.
2: Goes Not up. that I know what a nice night out costs in London anymore. But no, probably half the price actually. It's very expensive. Uh, Joe Sayward, thank you very much for joining us in the shed. We'll be looking forward to uh, maybe catching up with you post season. Perhaps um, get your views on the red carpet for the FIA awards. Tell us who was wearing what, a bit of a fashion critique.
3: Well, I think everyone, uh, with the exception of Lewis, will probably be wearing a black tie. Lewis will probably be wearing something (laughs) with spangles and blue and whatever. Uh, He always tends to come in a rather more colourful range of things. It's better than people turning up in T-shirts, I suppose. Uh, This year's award uh, is at the Louvre in Paris, the Louvre Museum. Wow, might Uh, pop along. It's right next door. Well, yes, I think I probably will be there. Yeah, it's very um, convenient for you. There's also the Autosport Awards in London, um, and I'm probably going to have one of my audiences in London mm. at that same sort of period. So um, there's just lots of things happening, as I said. So uh, All jolly fun, really.
2: Well, fantastic. Um, the audience with Joe in London, that will be well worthwhile. I'm sure Joe will tell us closer to the date, and we'll let you know here on Missed Apex Podcast where you can find uh, find the details for that. But in the meantime, go and find all Joe's stuff, by searching for Joe Saywood F1 on the internet, at Joe Saywood on Twitter. Check out his blog, The Green Notebook. and You the have b- to spell the name because nobody knows how to spell what, Sayward. it. What, Saywood? Well, that's because you say it wrong. Yeah, yeah, of course I do, but I was born with it. What am I you, supposed to say? You say it like Saywood, isn't it? But yes. Which is, okay, So, but it's it's actually Saywood, isn't it? Saward. Sayward.
3: The French yeah. say savoir, <laughs> but uh, it's say S-A-W-A-R-D. You see, now you can actually find out how to spell it. There we and go. And only the people whose name is Sayward know how to spell it or know how to pronounce it properly.
2: You know probably. me; I'm very, very sharp on pronunciations. Uh, just search for Joe Blogs F1. That should. I'm get sure
3: Charles Leclerc would agree
2: with you, and Sebastian Vettel as well. Uh, do join us. Charles Leclerc would probably disagree. I think we're going to be here on Sunday, but wherever we see you next, be brave, because wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. It's Inside F1 with Joe Saywood. And me. I was on it too. Everybody look at me at Spanners Ready. What, Joe, as a freelancer, that's what you have to do, constantly wave your hands and say, pay attention I, to I me. I am
3: well aware of the life of a freelancer, yes.
2: Jumping around, Pay everyone look at what I'm doing, <laughs> please. Uh, somebody... I, have, I have been
3: doing it since you were actually, actually probably your entire life, I should think. Oh, 1980
2: I was born, Joe. I just look fantastic. Okay, not that long then. I just look okay. amazing for my age. Oh, well, you
3: and... are, actually, if that's the case. yeah, I've only been doing it since 93,
2: so. Oh, there we go. No, God, you thought that I was younger than that. That's incredible. Yeah, this is great. Oh, mm-hmm.